everybody. What's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. It's good to be back with you again. I took a little bit of extra time off the last uh, week and a half, two weeks, but should be back on schedule now. I'll do the news podcast today and then follow up with the Gog Magog study part two, probably later on this week. You can go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com to catch up with the Gog Magog study or to sign up for the newsletter for the show notes in this podcast. All right, so I want to start, I think, with breakthrough cases. Um, there are a lot of uh, news stories about this, and I've been talking about it for a while. There are a lot of reasons I, I watched the breakthrough cases idea. One of which is, and breakthrough cases, of course, is the idea that somebody gets COVID-19 after having also got the vaccine against COVID-19, yet they still get COVID and will, you know, either have mild or no symptoms or get hospitalized or even die. And news stories are coming out about it because, all, but I, the way I interpret it is the only time things are coming out about it is when there's just, you absolutely have to talk about it. So for example, Bill Maher or some of these people in, in sports teams that you have to notice when they're not there. They literally have to report when somebody's not going to play today and you need to tell people why. I mean, it's like a sports book thing. And obviously, if Bill Maher can't do his live show or I don't know if it's live or not, but he can't record a show, you got to tell people why you weren't there. Oh, I had COVID-19. Oh, didn't you have the vaccine? Yeah, we did. I guess whatever. So you're hearing about it only in the most, you know, have to hear about con uh, contexts. And... When you do hear about it, when they're forced to talk about it, it is always this glowing, like they do with everything. It's all rare. It's, not, it's probably nothing. There's no proof of anything. Yes, it's happening. So rare. So rare. Um, but then the numbers don't really seem all that rare when you read the story. So case in point, this story from, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Colorado, Denver, Fox 31. This is a new site uh, that this is just in Colorado. So they're reporting these breakthrough cases as a cause of a concern. A Colorado Joint Information Center, whatever that is, uh, said that there are a number of breakthrough cases in the state. They're happening what's being called an expected level. Oh, the expected levels. That's good. I'm sure they had a this all was expected to all these people that died. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that a breakthrough case is a person, blah, blah, blah. As of May 20, Colorado has reported uh, 2,270 people with vaccine breakthrough infection. Of those, 156, or 6.9%, have been hospitalized. Those hospitalizations may not be due to COVID-19. Of those 2,270 people with a vaccine breakthrough, 30, or 1.3%, have died. So this is interesting. 30 vaccinated people died they're saying it could have been anything, but they're in this database because they tested positive for COVID-19 after getting the vaccine and were presumably hospitalized with symptoms, which is the whole thing that we're going to read in a minute, what they're trying to change the rules to avoid stories like this. So I've also reported here about how the CDC has recently changed its guidelines for how to count cases uh, that of people that have been vaccinated versus people that have not been vaccinated. I'm going to read a little bit from the Off Guardian, uh, and I I think this is interesting because this is like this the third article. This is the second article that they've written on this subject. The first one got a lot of attention. It was fact checked by you know the fact checkers, which we'll talk about in a minute because it's interesting what the fact checkers did. And so this one is written after that to sort of like you know, redouble down and to call out the fact check and different things like that. So this is selected quotes from Kit Knightley, offguardian.org. 
On March 17th, the CDC updated their advice on testing policy to specifically exclude such people from testing protocols, talking about vaccinated COVID-19 cases. The CDC changed their rules again to make it even harder to keep an accurate count of breakthrough cases. As we wrote last week, as of May 1st, the CDC will no longer be counting mild or asymptomatic cases as, quote, breakthrough infections, choosing to focus only on hospitalizations and deaths. According to the CDC's own report, though, over a quarter, 27% of breakthrough infections were asymptomatic. And further, 61% were only mildly ill. Conversely, only 10% of them were even hospitalized, and only 2% died. So the CDC has taken their substantial undercount. This is something that he was mentioning earlier, how, of how badly these cases are undercounted. And then slashed that by 90%. The official figures moving forward will be so inaccurate as to be completely useless. The CDC claims these changes, quote, will help maximize the quality of the data collected on cases of greatest clinical and public health importance, but that is an obvious and absurd lie. Statistical studies have shown up to 86% of COVID, quote unquote, cases never experience symptoms. To exclude such cases from your vaccine effectiveness studies is to poison your data in order to prop up the predetermined conclusion. It is, at the very best, extremely poor science. Of course, the truth is far more cynical even than that. From the beginning of the so-called pandemic, waves of asymptomatic cases were deliberately created by running unreliable PCR tests on hundreds of thousands of perfectly healthy people every day. The entirely predictable false positives were called cases, and these manufactured cases of COVID-19 were used to build up the illusion of a global plague. This was a prolonged campaign of deception in order to bring about sweeping changes in the Constitution and our society. To this point, asymptomatic cases have been the backbone of the COVID narrative, but now the CDC has attempted to remove them from the reckoning by instructing medical labs and hospitals around the country to stop looking for them, but only in those who have had the vaccine. This idea, of course, of not counting the obvious false positives or the asymptomatic cases or the cases tested with a PCR test over a certain cycle threshold or however you want to break that down, that should end immediately. But if you're going to end it selectively, the only net result is it's going to make everybody that didn't get vaccinated seem like they're still in the middle of a plague and all that, that did get vaccinated seem like they're perfectly healthy and perfectly effective, but nothing could be further from the truth. It is just the opposite way of going about trying to find any kind of truth. It's just manipulation. An interesting thing was the fact checked of the original Off Guardian article, and they focused in on Off Guardian, but this is not an Off Guardian specific thing. They just were a bigger organization that published it. But it was interesting to read the fact check because what they eventually said, first of all, like 90% of the fact check was like, all of this is completely wrong. This is 100% pants on fire. Wow, I can't believe somebody would lie this bad. And then when they get to the actual meat of the thing, that all the fact checks do, they say, well, what we meant was, of course we're going to count the cases of breakthrough cases. It's illegal for us not to, but, but that's only voluntarily. So if somebody voluntarily tells us that they got COVID-19 and they, you know, 
somehow got a test because they're not really supposed to test vaccinated people according to the guideline that we just read. But let's say somebody did get a test and they reported it. We're going to count it because it's illegal for us not to count that, to just throw that away. So that was their argument. It's illegal for us not to count it. Of course, we're going to count it if somebody volunteers it. But here's the rub. Then they said, what we meant was we weren't going to put that on our website or report those numbers to anybody. I mean, those numbers will exist in a database, you know, somewhere that we can study it because it's kind of important data. But I mean, nobody else will know it. That's all we're saying. We're just going to tell you guys about all the unvaccinated people and how bad that's going. But we'll keep all these other numbers close to our best. That's all we meant. That's all we meant. <laughs> All right, I wanted to mention a couple new studies that have really conclusively proven what apparently scientists knew all along and there was never any question in whatsoever about, which is that getting a coronavirus in the wild, catching COVID-19 and getting COVID makes you basically immune for your entire life and the quality of that immunity over the vaccine has never been in doubt. It is far superior. I can't imagine that there is a somebody that doesn't work at Pfizer or Moderna that's a doctor would tell you anything other than, of course, the immunity from a natural virus is better. It's more versatile. The only argument against, well, why shouldn't everybody just like throw COVID parties is it's dangerous because you could get a bad effect from that or whatever. And then uh, so it's not worth the risk to go the long way around. But if you have gotten COVID-19 and therefore have the antibodies, you do not need the vaccine, period. But what's even worse is that it's dangerous for you to get the vaccine. Other studies have conclusively shown now that you are far more likely to get adverse events if you have COVID-19 antibodies, which you got in the wild and then take a vaccine. That was the argument for people saying, why aren't you know, these fly-by-night Walmart and whatever, asking people if they've gotten COVID-19 because we actually have data that they're far more at risk uh, because of reactions to those antibodies and, and stuff. And of course, why would you want to do anything to your already good antibodies? You, you should be tested for that before that at the very least. The ivermectin story has changed a little bit over the last couple weeks. I think the last time I mentioned it, the only thing that was available on ivermectin in the news was in Manila, and then we started to see some action with it in India, specifically Goa and some others that had pretty hardline stances about uh, uh, taking ivermectin. So in the last, I guess, couple of weeks, we've, we've seen some pretty big stories and pretty big names coming out and saying, look, ivermectin is the answer and there is a crime going on here. Um, so Dark Horse podcast, I've got this story here of I don't know of a bigger story in the world right now than ivermectin. This is from Zero Hedge by Tyler Durden. Uh, so why aren't journalists not covering it? And he goes on to, you know, all this whole story of ivermectin and how it's basically a total blackout in the news media about it. And everybody knows why, of course, because they would never have been able to introduce emergency authorization vaccine programs to inoculate the world if people had admitted that ivermectin worked. So they maligned it, despite literally no evidence to the contrary. There's, there, th some of these articles are, are showing the ridiculousness of how people have tried to malign ivermectin. And it is uh, not going good for them. So anyway, this is a little bit of good news. I would expect to see more of this kind of stuff. Also, because in India, they did go, some of those places, including Goa, uh, did have big 
dramatic turnarounds after using ivermectin. And if I'm not mistaken, you probably haven't heard anything about India in the last week. Now, of course, they'll say it's because the lockdowns worked. And as we saw before, I think it was, what, 16 million people were expected to die from starvation from the lockdown. So I'm sure that was worth it. But here is a little excerpt from that. Cases in Delhi, where ivermectin was begun on April 20th, dropped from 28,395 to just 2,260 on May 22nd. 22nd. This represented an astounding 92% drop. Likewise, cases in different provinces, talking about the different numbers in other provinces, in, including Goa, which we mentioned. So there's some good news. I think the Fauci lab story continues with good news. Um, it seems like every day there is more evidence that it was not only known, but it was, you know, directly evidence that Fauci and Collins were really behind this whole thing to some degree or another. The question is exactly how much, but more stories like this are coming out. Virologists say genetic fingerprints prove COVID-19 was man-made, no credible natural ancestor. This is from Zero Hedge again. And this is essentially quoting two uh, scientists, British professor Angus Dalish, best known for creating the world's first HIV vaccine, and Norwegian virologist Borgen, you know, I'm not going to get that, chair of pharmaceutical company Immunor, who has published 31 peer-reviewed papers and holds several patents. Whatever, they're basically saying that they concluded that the SARS-CoV-2 virus has no credible natural ancestor and that it's beyond reasonable doubt that the virus was created via laboratory manipulation. Now, this was known from the very moment this whole thing started. I think it was some uh, laboratory in India was the first one that I heard about just coming out and say, um, no, this is obviously created in the lab. And when you kind of hear this explained to you, you know that everybody knew. A everybody who was anybody knew, at least if they were familiar with gain of function research, which of course I'm not, but I can have it explained to me, which is that there is a thing that happens in gain of function research that's very, very common. It is a thing that you, it's kind of like a way to, to connect two different viruses. It's just a technique that they use that is you, almost ubiquitous with gain-of-function research. If you see that, you know you're dealing with gain-of-function. But it is not something that you would ever see naturally occurring in the wild. So it's almost a, a perfect indicator. Now, I'm probably overstating the case to a certain extent because of the way that it's presented to me, but... Um, this story really hasn't changed, as I guess what I'm saying, from the very beginning. The only thing that has changed is the willingness of people to listen to that. And because when it first came out with the India uh, laboratory saying, look, this is obviously gain-of-function research, that was early on, like February 2020. And it was just shut down. It was one of the first hard shutdowns of somebody that like had something to say. These were not fringe people. These were serious scientists that, that just published their paper and said, hey, this is uh, obviously man-made, by the way, if anybody wants to know. And that was the, really the start of the clampdown on um, uh, the medical community. I see memes and stuff of like Fauci and Gates on the run, and, and there's this sentiment that, you know, we're, we're winning, and I suppose it to some extent, but what a Pyrrhic victory, you know, letting some minor truth get out in some, uh, some news story that's not yet banned, but obviously will be shortly, is not a victory. I mean, yes, people are waking up, but in the main, you know, it's getting harder and harder to find this information, and soon it's going to be 
pretty near impossible. I think that's the, the most likely thing that happens when more truth comes out is that more fact checkers come out and more censors come out <laughs> directly proportional to the more truth that comes out. But I could be wrong. And I do think that it's possible they might throw Fauci or Gates under the bus, but I don't think so, especially not Gates, because if you are a person that's in the system, like you go to these meetings and these rituals and stuff like that, one of the one of the reasons that you do evil knowingly and knowing probably more than anything about the evil, uh, they know that if anybody found out what they were really doing, I mean, they would really pitchforks at their house and, and it would happen. I mean, the whole world would be against them. So they can they have to trust that they won't be thrown under, under the bus. Yes, they have people have leverage on you. And the more leverage they have on you, the better because they know that you'll never do anything that would risk that coming out. And to the other people in the system, they need to know that you won't throw them under the uh, under the bus because then they start to worry about the evil that they're doing. Would I be thrown under the bus as a convenient fall guy? I think there are so few instances of that happening. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein, think about him. He actually got off the charges. He was set free. It was just some weird circumstances that they retried him. I mean, that whole thing was not supposed to happen. Bill Gates was meeting with him after he had already been acquitted. So everybody already knew he was a pedophile, but it was all real hush-hush. The judge, the judge obviously got paid off. Something happened crazy back when the first case happened and he got let off. So that was the normal course of events. The second event, you know, with, and we'll see what happens with this Jelaine Maxwell thing or whatever, but Clearly, that's one of the only cases I've seen in, in recent memory where anybody even close to gets in trouble for any of this. Okay, moving on to another kind of string of stories dealing with heart inflammation being studied by the CDC. CDC investigating heart inflammation. That's sort of the variation of the study I've seen in lots of different contexts. It's been hard to sort of zero in on what exactly is happening here. As far as I can tell, the CDC has agreed to investigate, which probably means that this came to them in a way that they had to deal with. It seems like a lot of people are, are citing military.com who had some soldiers have heart inflammation issues as a result of the vaccination. I don't know how many or whatever, but then I started to see that in that same article connected to this story that Israel, Israel reports link between rare cases of heart inflammation and the COVID-19 vaccination in young men. So there is something about that Israel study that's showing people in that case, I think they are not young people-ish. I mean, they're 30 years old to like 65 or something like that. But then you have started to have this kind of thing show up too, which is 18 Connecticut teens hospitalized for heart problems after COVID vaccines these stories started showing up pretty much right after they started giving young people shots. And I think, as I said before, that this will be more known because I get the sense that this is being reported more. And that could either be because kids are more vulnerable to the vaccine. That is to say 12 to 18 years old kids um, are vulnerable to bad vaccine effects and therefore the numbers will be up and therefore more reported just on a volume basis. Or, and probably a little bit of this is happening for sure, is that when kids have something happen, there are less excuses as they certainly have used in the past. And 
you know, old people in nursing homes, oh, they were going to die. They're in nursing homes after all. So just because a bunch of them died afterwards, there's no way you could prove that they died from the vaccine. So that was been the story for a long time. And who knows how many old people that we've killed uh, that just sort of coincidence. And I don't know, can't prove it was the vaccine. I think there are ways to, to figure that out, but we're kind of against the clock with this data. It's like I just reported with that, uh, the CDC saying, oh, by the way, we're not going to report to you the instances anymore. We're going to know that data, but we're not going to put that on our website. As soon as they start doing that, um, I'm telling you that we've lost because without that data, we'll have no way to prove that they're lying. And I think that there still are ways now, but that window is closing as soon as they start as soon as they start taking that actual raw data from us, which, of course, we're taxpayers and we should be able to have the data that we paid for to be developed. And, of course, there's lots of public good reasons. Anyway, this sort of admission of vaccines causing heart problems, especially the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which there is another sort of sea change that's happening now that seems to be. And this is I'm going to be a little shooting from the hip on this one. I think I am. I think I have this information decent, but I may have a couple details wrong. My sense is that it is now and maybe always has been known to a certain degree that the spike protein that is um, that uh, the especially the mRNA vaccines will cause your body to make the spike protein, which is a piece of the coronavirus, which then uh, helps your body to develop antibodies. And even if I understand it, the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca still ultimately give you a spike protein too, but it is a viral vector spike protein. But the net result is the same thing, which is to say antibodies developed around the spike protein. Um, now, what I think is known, and it maybe has been known, is that that spike protein is actually a disease causer. And that is not exactly earth-shattering news to anybody because viruses are so not very well understood. And we're not really sure about much of what viruses do or why they do it or how they cause disease and these kinds of things. But it does appear that the spike protein alone, and certain studies have been done where they literally just give a fake virus with no actual viral qualities, but it has a spike protein, and yet it causes the blood clots and the blood-related disease and the cardiovascular problems just by itself. So then the next obvious question is, well, aren't you giving this spike protein to people, basically telling their bodies to create it, in order to get the antibodies to be created. Then wouldn't that be really bad for uh, that person since you've essentially created a bunch of these disease-causing particles? And it seems like they're saying, yes, that is true, but it's okay because the way that we inject it in a person's arm, the spike proteins that get developed are only in a very localized area. So all the pain and things like that around your uh, arm are really a result of those disease-causing spike proteins, or at least part of it. I'm sure there's all kinds of other reasons where you can have pain and and all, all kinds of stuff, but that's certainly one of them. It should be localized in the best-case scenario. So that's like the official version of events is that the spike protein only stays in the certain, you know, localized mus muscular area of your arm. 
it shouldn't go into the bloodstream or anything else. And they will give some kind of lip service to the fact of, well, some, some of it gets into some blood just locally and maybe gets in a lymph node, a close lymph node or something like that. But, you know, other than that, it's fine. But so there are a couple things are happening there. That's only in the best case scenario because there are lots of reasons that, that, that it can actually get in your bloodstream, you know, hit a blood vessel or somebody does something a little bit wrong when they inject it, things that they know happen and not every case is perfect and not every person is the same and things like that. So there are certainly going to be instances where the perfect thing doesn't happen and somebody does get those spike proteins into a major blood vessel. And the problem with that, as we're seeing is now that they cause all kinds of problems, including can get past the blood brain barrier and cause neurological problems and blood clots in the brain, i.e. strokes and kill you. So anyway, on no agenda, they had this guy, Dr. Byram Brindle, an associate professor of viral immunology at the University of Guelph, G-U-E-L-P-H, about a new peer reviewed, new peer reviewed studies that suggest that there may be terrifying side effects such as heart inflammation, VITT, and other serious issues that occur to those who have been vaccinated. So this is a pretty interesting audio that was played on No Agenda, but basically this guy is saying the main problem is that these studies were showing that the spike proteins do not just stay in the arm. They go into the body in lots of different cases, and a lot of the death and things that have been seen and the blood clotting or whatever and apparently the blood clotting is well known to be much worse with Pfizer and Moderna. I know that the marketing material only lets you know about Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. They're the only ones that have blood clots, but in reality, the data is overwhelming that Moderna and Pfizer, specifically Pfizer, because it has been, it is just so much higher in terms of possible blood clot issues. Now, um, anyway, it's an interesting thing. I don't know exactly where I'm at on all this right now. As I say, I'm not 100% sure about most of what I just said, but I think it's something to watch for. Now, I should mention that this isn't just about the vaccines. So blood clots, if this was true, would also occur if you got COVID, which is one of the reasons that it's a very blood-borne kind of cardiovascular uh, disease. I mean, it does a lot of different things. It uh, causes inflammation in the lungs and all kinds of other issues that... Um, you know, a result of just the COVID-19 virus. So it's not just about the vaccine. It's also about the virus that does the same kind of thing. But this is pretty much the equivalent of vaccinating somebody with a deadly virus with the intent that it's all going to be okay as long as it just stays in your arm. But it might not. And if it doesn't, it might kill you. So anyway, that's something to keep an eye on. All right, moving on from COVID news, and really I only have one last thing I want to talk about, but I, I think it might take me a little while, and that is the UFO thing that's been going on. I've been seeing, especially in the in my burden right now is for the Christian prophecy community and this UFO thing. I'm really mostly talking to you guys. I've seen a lot of this stuff like, this is from uh, Jan Markell at Olive Tree Ministries. She says, this is called Rapture Countdown. I would like to specifically, I would like to talk specifically to three indicators, that being Israel, the Great Reset, and a startling uptake, uptake in new UFO sightings like never before. There, there, an undeniable connection here that tells me that we are in the final moments, and also the persecution to the church that points to the rapture of the church. So, in one sense, this is a typical kind of post from Jan Markell lately, which is very 
you know, insisting that the rapture is any minute because something in the news is bad. And I know I'm being a little bit disparaging, but I'm kind of getting a little bit uh, tired of the way that this is happening, especially in her particular ministry there. But it's certainly not unique to her ministry. This is, this UFO thing, which is really what I want to talk about today, is in a lot of different sort of Christian UFO things. And I get that. I understand why, because, you know, a lot of people have different theories about the end times. Of course, they can't all have my theories. So they have their own theories, and all of them are perfectly acceptable and worthy to be talked talked about. And if anybody knows me knows, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. And one of my first theories about the end times was all about the UFO deception. I spoke at conferences on it. I've got plenty of videos about it. I talk about it at length and have all kinds of theories. I look back on those and I think, oh my gosh, because one thing that it really wasn't was all that true to what the Bible was saying. Like I had this idea of how a UFO deception could work and how a really great plan it would be for Satan. But it really wasn't what the Bible was talking about. And people in that scenario tend to, you know, they look at the second Thessalonians two talking about the great deception or something like that. And they say, there it is. There's your UFO deception, a great deception. That's me, by the way, if anybody's wondering, it's surely Frank's speech letting me know that, uh, something's happening live now, which I can't seem to unsubscribe from that. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, that's what's happening. And I want to talk about the UFO thing because I don't think a lot of people know how absolutely bogus it really is. And I want to preface all this by saying I am totally on board with whatever this is. I don't mind. I don't have any kind of dog in this fight. If this was genuine UFOs from another planet or some other kind of thing like that, I would be immediately down for theorizing about what it is and, and what, how it plays into this. And kind of, I would kind of prefer something truly mysterious to be happening because I've got some really banger theories I really want to try out uh, if that ever happens. But so far, I've been incredibly disappointed. These are not good evidence of anything. I think that once you see how bad they are, you can't ever unsee it. Uh, and you will feel uh, as burdened, I hope, as I am to show people how dumb it is. But it is... Um, also something to see these guys like Luis Elizondo and Jeremy Corbell on these TV shows. And they are just the rogues behind every one of these things. And I'll tell you why in a minute, as we go through why Luis Elizondo was hired by, uh, to the stars Academy and, and Tom DeLonge with, uh, with blink 182 and all that stuff, because this is all basically a film producer thing. And I go through a lot of the sort of bigger details that you will need to know if you care about this story in a podcast from July 29th called uh, UFOs uh, Not From This Earth, The New York Times is a Joke, where I go through Robert Bigelow's history all the way up into Senator Harry Reid and why this sort of Pentagon uh, uh, research into UFOs even existed, which is all what happened there was just a backdoor slimy deal where a guy paid a bunch of money to a guy's campaign. That is to say, Robert Bigelow paid a bunch of money to Harry Reid's campaign. In exchange, Harry Reid uh, gives uh, Bob Bigelow a quote-unquote job in which he basically accepts all his crazy UFO papers that he's had his you know stable of UFO engineers write for the last 30 years and just basically send me copies of them I'll pay you whatever it is five million dollars for them and that will kind of pay you back for all those campaign donations but what they did is they turned around once they bought those papers or you know bought that research which is you know just stupid papers about anti-gravity that had been written in 1985 that 
you know, nobody could use or, or whatever. But what they did is once they sold them to the Pentagon, then they came out with the story, the Pentagon has a secret program in which they are, are studying UFO stuff. And all they did was a backdoor deal to buy somebody's stupid research to pay off a debt that he owed. And they were mostly doing that as a part of a prep for a show uh, that was being produced by, in this case, the Tom DeLonge and the, the uh, To the Stars Academy. But what, what I think is the interesting thing here is that the guy that we keep seeing now, Louise Elizondo, who's the guy who was on Tucker Carlson, and he is always presented as the Pentagon defector. He worked at the Pentagon, but he couldn't take it anymore. He ran the UFO program, but he left... You know, he left because he just couldn't take it anymore and he wanted to get the word out. And, you know, and so that's his story. But the problem, what he almost certainly was, he worked not for the Pentagon. The Pentagon said he didn't work, work for us, us. He didn't run any of those programs. He's not telling the truth to which basically he's now on John Green. Because even John Greenwald, a UFO guy, called him out, was on his podcast, totally walked it all back. But what he probably was is he was probably the liaison guy that was working with Bigelow's group and thus Tom DeLonge's group to facilitate that passage of information so that they could claim the Pentagon was actually interested in UFO stuff. Louise Elizondo, who probably did work at the Undersecretary of Defense office, which is probably where he was tasked to like be a part of this stupid backdoor money deal just to be essentially be the liaison. So what he did was he then he then got hired by the guys he was liaisoning for. So his, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave uh, this, this thing, uh, the, the, the Pentagon or the undersecretary for whatever. But what he really did is just accept a really lucrative job from To The Stars Academy. He does not disclose that on Tucker, Tucker Carlson, he, that he's basically working for the people that have the most to benefit from this. The people that are, that this is a big advertisement for their shows on the History Channel and, and Science Fi Network or whatever it's on. All that to say, look into Luis Elizondo. He's a total snake. So anyway, let's go into some of the videos that have come out lately. So I talked in that one podcast about the green video that was, you know, a triangle craft. That that one, I think, is a good one to start because, because both of those, that one and the other sort of black and white thermal image that were released recently, they were released by Jeremy Cor Corbell, another film producer. One of those videos the one that looks like a triangle, that thing is, is, been, is flashing FAA-compliant lights, which is a very random pattern of lights that only exist in FAA-compliant things. It is out of focus in a, star, in a triangle shape, as you can demonstrate is the case on certain lenses in which their iris is closed to a triangle and then it's out of focus. We know that that is the case because all the stars and other things in the sky, other lights in that film are also triangles that are out of focus. So if you, so first of all, you have an FAA compliant uh, ship moving at the speed that a plane of that altitude should be moving, which you can see these videos that sort of track that or whatever. It's obviously an out of focus shot of that plane. The whole time I'm watching this on TV, they're saying things like, there's no propulsion in this, man. I mean, it's like, how could it even do this? And you're looking at this thing, you're, you're definitely looking at a plane doing nothing special. It is just green and it looks like a triangle. And you have people in the background talking about, man, the propulsion on this thing is like nothing I've ever seen or whatever. Now, granted in that video, maybe they're talking about another video. So let's move on to another one, which is, uh, Let's move on to the one where the two pilots are like, yeah, man, yeah, totally, we got it, or whatever. So the two pilots are freaking out about this thing. And 
I, I don't like Thunderfoot. He's a longtime atheist, enemy of Christianity, but he is a debunker. He has a really good one on that uh, issue, a really good video on that particular uh, one. And it's, it's pretty transparently a bird uh, that was caught in the sort of auto tracker of the plane. They were excited, first of all, that they had auto tracked it. You know, they didn't probably know it was a bird. It was a thermal image. But what Thunderfoot did is he went through all the different things and the metrics that you can see on the actual FLIR thing to show what was happening in terms of the parallax and stuff like that, the altitude of the thing. You could actually know the dimensions of that area that was being uh, looked at based on the altitude and a couple of other factors to know exactly what the size of the thing that they were looking at was. And, you know, it was the size of a bird, probably the wingspan of about a meter, you know. And you can almost see the little wings flapping. You can see other instances of this kind of thing happening and, you know, FLIR catching birds, what they look like. I mean, it's just obviously a bird. I'll say it like this. There's nothing that is not bird-like about it, or there's nothing that would lead me to believe it's anything else. It doesn't do anything else. There is one of them, the one that they talk about the the right turns at whatever degree was, I think, an earlier, maybe the 2017 version, which got a lot more play recently. That one was one I also talked about in the previous podcast, where you can do a frame-by-frame -frame analysis of that one to see that this uh, impossible move for somebody to make was made by a literal hand focus of the wheel. There is, if you see it, it's impossible for me to describe that in audio, but uh, I'll put it in the show notes along with the other videos that I'm talking about for uh, this one. So I'll just put a little UFO section and have all these debunking videos about that. So you can go to the website, Bible Prophecy Talk, sign up for the email list, and I'll send all that out Sunday. Anyway, I think that will do it for me today. You can, again, go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com, where you can see the Gog Magog War Study. We have done part one. I will probably get to part two later this week. Mm -hmm.